Hello, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief of Modern Retail, and this week, I'm really excited. We have Lindsay Andrews, who's the co-founder and CEO of Mini Bar Delivery, which is an alcohol delivery service, which is, I think, something many of us have used throughout the last year, if not longer. Um, I'm excited to talk about alcohol delivery in general. It's a fascinating space uh, just because of all of the crazy regulations and state laws and all that jazz, and it's something that I geek out on all the time. And so, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me. Well, Kale, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So when did Minibar first start? Because you've been around for a lo- longer than a lot of the other players, right? We've been around for a long time. I think it's now eight years wow. since we started working on Minibar delivery. Um, you know, we saw you could press a button and get everything delivered from your groceries to your takeout to your, you know, car service to your dry cleaning, but we didn't understand why you couldn't get alcohol delivered. It felt like the perfect item. It's a heavy, bulky consumable um, that doesn't change from store to store. Tito's is Tito's, whether it's coming from liquor store A or B. Um, So we really wanted to solve that problem and create the best way to shop for wine, spirits, and beer at the press of a button. What were you doing before and what led you to realize that you wanted to do alcohol delivery? Yes. So I was at the diapers.com portfolio. So the Quincy portfolio of brands um, that was acquired by Amazon. And I led marketing for their pet vertical. So I'd been selling dog food and diapers and whatnot. um, And alcohol seemed like a much more exciting consumable to be selling. (laughs) Um, Though obviously dog food and diapers are very important. Um, So and really saw my co-founder and I, you know, we'd meet for takeout Tuesdays, we'd get our seamless delivery. And, you know, one Tuesday disaster, the wine was out in my fridge. We thought we must be able to solve this problem by, you know, the same way we got our food delivered. But alas, we couldn't. So we thought, how can we solve this problem? And we, you know, as you mentioned, the liquor laws in the U.S. are extremely complicated and vary widely from state to state. So we thought the easiest way to solve it was by creating a two-sided marketplace. So connecting consumers to local liquor stores for easy delivery. Um, And that way we didn't have to hold inventory. We didn't have to have a store and thus a liquor license. Um, It allowed us to expand a lot faster with less capital. So at the beginning and also now, if that's still the case, were you just the facilitating software or did you also have a delivery fleet involved? How, how did that work out? We were the facilitating software. Um, we did not do deliveries. We now today integrate with a ton of DSPs. So we integrate with, you know, a DoorDash drive. So if a store doesn't want to take on delivery, we have an easy turnkey solution for them. Um, but logistics is not the area where we focused or in there's so many experts in that area. So, you know, our kind of philosophy is let the experts do what the experts are good at. So the liquor stores, you know, are great at buying, merchandising and selling alcohol. We're great at marketing and technology. DSPs are great at logistics and making, you know, uh, deliveries as efficient as, and as inexpensive as possible. So let them focus there. Let's zoom back eight years ago because, uh, like even today, I talk with with people similar, like who who run similar businesses, and it is still such a minefield. Both dealing with the three tiered system, dealing with the state laws, and it sounds like you're you're the way that you approached that was going by to the mom and pop stores, these liquor stores. How what was onboarding like, and how did you sort of approach that? Was it in a location by location basis? Did you have a pitch deck that you sent to these small like businesses to say, hey, this is something you want to do? It's 2014, but it's going to be big soon. How, how did you do that? <laughs> 
Yeah, so we were headquartered um, in New York City. So we launched in New York City first. It's also the perfect market for delivery, super dense. Everyone gets stuff delivered. Um, but because of the liquor laws in New York, all the stores are mom and pops because it's illegal to own more than one liquor store in New York State. Um, so early days before we launched, it was feet on the street, like going door to door, try explaining our concept. You know, we hadn't launched, so we didn't have data for them. We didn't have information. We didn't, couldn't show them traction. So we're like, the internet's here, guys. It's coming. Let's get on board. <laughs> um, and generally, if the like manager or owner was younger, they kind of got that the internet was here. Um, and it obviously each sale got a little bit easier, but we've definitely, you know, some stores we really wanted and we go back over and over and over again until finally we got a yes. Um, and those stores are still on our platform today, which is awesome. Um, and then once we had traction and sales, it became easier being like, oh, the store 20 blocks away, we increased their business by, you know, 10% and we're happy to put you in touch with them. Do you want to get on minibar delivery? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like each sale got easier. And then today we have tons of stores reaching out to us to get on the platform. So it's nice to have that kind of shift. And what is the, the payment scheme? Do you, do you take a percentage of the sales or how does that work? Or is it all on the consumer side? It, we t um, take a small marketing and technology fee from the liquor stores and it varies state to state based on the liquor laws in each state. So given that you're sort of, you, offloading is not the right word, but like all of the the sort of contingencies based on states are beholden to the businesses that are already open and they know that. But when you're dealing with, say, uh, a state like Oregon, where it's all state run um, compared to a place like New York or another state where beer is not considered a spirit, is that does that turn into a software problem that you have to fix? Or when you are dealing specifically with the businesses, it, it becomes much more turnkey? So early days, you know, we launched just with wine and spirits in New York because those are sold at one store. And then beer and mixers are sold at another store in New York um, State. So we had to build the technology to have like a two-cart checkout. Um, so we did that pretty quickly. I think we launched in February of 2014. By June of 2014, we had the two-cart checkout. So you could buy wine, spirits, and beer. You check out, two stores would be alerted. They'd pick and pack, and you'd get two deliveries. Um, but then on the states that are that sell liquor themselves, as, in, as opposed to having it privately sold, um, we have not worked with a state to date. So we focus on the categories where individual stores can sell it. So for example, we're in Virginia, but we've only ever sold wine and beer in Virginia. We don't sell liquor there. Um, and the same with many other states. So uh, where are you right now or how has expansion gone over the last eight years? Yeah, I mean, it's been great. We are in about 18 states with on-demand delivery. So you can place an order and get your delivery in under 60 minutes. Um, and then we do offer shipping in over 40 states uh, where legal. And that's both shipping from liquor stores as well as we work with vineyards because the vineyards, it's less regulated on where they can ship to. So it opens up more of the country and um, alcohol shipping to more customers. So we have about 30 plus vineyards on our platform where you can order a red wine, white wine and sparkling. That's fascinating. When did you start onboarding vineyards? Um, we started onboarding vineyards probably about four years ago. Um, you know, it's great because they might not have as much really uh, as larger relationship with consumers because they're just in one area and it allows them to get in front of more consumers and then consumers where we might not have on demand, at least we have something for them to offer. 
and we find a lot of our like amazing customers in like New York or San Francisco or Houston, maybe, you know, they have a friend that just got engaged in an area where we don't have on-demand delivery, but at least we have something to offer them so they can send them a congratulatory bottle of wine. I want to go more into that because, uh, A, I, I, I'm always interested in sort of the wine delivery, but also I feel like there's a distinct marketing distinction, maybe I'm wrong, between like if you're ordering, say, a case of wine that is delivered as opposed to ordering a handle of Tito's for that night. And I wonder like how how you're able to sort of, you know, both acquire the customers, but market yourself as a brand that that does both of those needs. But which leads to like the initial question, which is how ha- like how have you gone about customer acquisition? I imagine in New York, it's probably easier to get people. Everyone wants things delivered to their door in New York City, but um, and they expect it now. I imagine, um, but like I feel like as you expand outward, it, it's it's a different kind of nut to crack. So how have you gone about it? Yeah, I mean, we've found that major urban metros are kind of like our bread and butter, and that's kind of where we've expanded to. As you mentioned, New York, everyone expects delivery. They want it delivered. So I think it's an easy jump from getting your dinner delivered to getting your wine delivered. Um, And we find most people want immediate delivery. Like our busiest times are between 4 and 8 p.m. and Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So when people are on their way home from work, when they used to go to an office, hopefully everyone's returning at some point safely. Um, So that's kind of our bread and butter. And the vast majority of our business is on-demand delivery. Um, But, you know, we do all the traditional marketing, whether that's like Google AdWords, Facebook and Instagram, retargeting, affiliate. And then we've done a lot of other stuff as well. Um, We've done New York City subway ads. We've done direct mail. We've done radio. We've done podcasts. So we're always testing. We're always learning. We're always seeing what new channels are out there. Um, and then obviously seeing which are the most efficient and putting our money, shifting budgets there. I, I'm going to want to get more into that. It's actually kind of funny. This is a weird serendipitous time that you're that you're on the show and we're talking about on-demand delivery because my birthday was a few weeks ago and uh, my colleagues at Modern Retail. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But they actually bought me a gift certificate to Minibar, which is actually. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So I'm probably using it tonight <laughs> of, of all, of all so times. I'm so excited. Yeah. So, uh, so it's funny that I'll be asking you all about the user experience and all that jazz, but no, I won't. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the gift really came out of the pandemic. So really? We, yeah. So um, pre-pandemic, about 15% of our business was corporate sales. So oh. offices ordering for Friday happy hours. Um, obviously, in mid-March, that went to zero. Um, but what we saw was everyone shifted to Zoom, and they wanted to build culture online. Um, and they were doing like Zoom happy hours. So our corporate customers would be like, how can you help? And, you know, they were trying to get shipping info for everyone on their team. So we're like, let's make this easier. So we kind of packed together gift cards. And so we allowed co- uh, corporate customers to buy those. It kind of had to go through our customer service team. Um, but then in the meantime, we were building out like custom functionality to have beautiful e-gift cards, which is what we now have, um, which were a huge success when we launched and in December they were massive and they continue to be really big. So, and we switch out and have fun creative, you know, um, in May we had Cinco de Mayo, like fun ones for pride month. We had a really cute pride gift card. Um, so we switched out based on the months and then we have all the generic ones like happy birthday, congratulations. Um, so I think that's the one I got. (laughs) That makes sense. Um, so they've been a great, you know, they've been a hit for the past kind of year since we put them together. 
We're, that's really interesting. And I'm always fascinated uh, about sort of the, the pandemic shift. And I want to go into sort of the, what you've seen. So you said 15% of your sales were, were sort of we're B2B. Corporate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so did you find that with the advent or the, you know, bringing about gift cards, did that volume stay with corporate or did that still shrink because they weren't putting as many events? It still shrunk. Um, I mean, corporate... 15% of our business business isn't gift cards. So, you know, it did. And now we have like individual consumers also buying gift cards. Um, so corporate definitely did shrink. We've started to see it coming back a little. We'll see what happens in the kind of coming weeks with Delta. Um, I feel like a lot of people have pushed back their um, go back to office plans. Um, and then interestingly, like we've seen like on Google, search trends for like alcohol delivery have started to spike again. Like in LA, they were there was two x as much interest in the like alcohol delivery terms um, since the second mass mandate was announced um, like two weeks ago. We're now going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. So, like, let's go back to uh, like a year ago now. I imagine, and I'm pretty sure I read this um, a, a little bit ago that I mean, every alcohol delivery service saw an insane spike. But correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys saw 500 percent increase in in new customers in March 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so like walk me after through after the yeah. That, so that's like wild. March and April, like it was a flip was switched and things went crazy. Um, you know, it was silver lining for us. Obviously, I would have rathered our business continued at a regular pace and we had no global pandemic, but um, unfortunately, we can't control that. So we, you know, we adapted our, you know, sales were amazing. Our store partners, they were, you know, on the front lines. They did an amazing job with massive increase in demands. Um, our customer service team kind of bore the brunt of it because we were staffed for our business, you know, two weeks prior, not, um, Mm -hmm. for kind of the business being five X overnight. And then we also work with all the major brands. Um, you know, they, we work with them in an advertising capacity in uh, many regards. So they also, because obviously on-premise went to zero, um, they came flocking our way as well. So it was a really exciting time, um, but we had to adapt very quickly and there were very long hours and everyone kind of got their hands dirty and dug in and helped out. Um, You know, we had to shift a lot of our resources to help with the spike in demand as well as building our customer service and the stores tools to help with the massive demand overnight. Did expansion plans just kind of go out the window after that because you were dealing with so much of what was going on at that time? Or sort of how did you deal with, were you going to onboard new new partners? Were you not? Go to new cities? Yeah, tons of stores wanted to onboard because they saw everyone was shifting online and they wanted, and I think they would rather get orders online than have people coming into their store. So we did see a massive spike in new stores wanting to get get on the platform and we tried to move as fast as possible to help them do that. What did you go into new territories uh, over the last year or did you sort of put that on hold? Yeah, we're generally always kind of like expanding in new territories. For example, one place we recently launched um, was Atlanta. So our business model only became legal in Georgia in Q4 of last year. So we launched Atlanta, I think it was in December of last year, which was really exciting because they had pent up demand. They were excited for this, you know, have this service that so many other cities had. Um, And then we're always kind of expanding. As you know, early on, we mentioned New York was our first market, generally urban metros. 
But what we've seen is since we've done a lot of mass marketing that we do well in kind of Hoboken, Jersey City, and we've expanded to like Westchester and Connecticut. Um, so kind of the rings around those urban metros. Um, a lot of our customers left New York at the height of the pandemic. So Long Island started to do really well. Um, so we did see kind of shifts in business and we have seen the suburbs do better and better. How are you going about the delivery aspects for those? Are a lot of those customers doing shipping or are they still within delivery range because there are liquor stores? Because I imagine that there a lot of the liquor stores there probably don't have a great courier fleet, though maybe I'm incorrect about that. Yeah, I mean, usually they can like staff up, you know, if we start with them and they're getting a couple orders a day and then as it grows, they can kind of adapt and have more delivery people or they can always use a third party logistics company um, to help with the demand. But we have seen, you know, success and we're really excited to continue to expand into more markets and more kind of suburban markets. Would, I, I wanted to ask you this earlier, but I'll just ask now because I'm still interested. For those for those state-owned, for those state-run liquor states, do you ever see yourself going in there or working with the states or is that just going to be far too difficult? I mean, I would love to. That sounds awesome. I went to graduate school in Philadelphia, so love Philly, would love to be there, but obviously it's challenging. Um, it's just, I think, a really long lead process and probably have to have like RFPs. The state has to go out to be fair and competitive. Um, so we'd obviously participate and would love to work with the governments. Um, it's just much harder and longer. Got it. And so when the pandemic happened and you saw the insane spike in demand, what did you do on the marketing front? Because I know a lot of companies, specifically e-com companies, they were just sort of so overwhelmed that they were like, I'm not going to put any money in this. Like, the customers have found me. I'm done. But what did, like, how, like, you're, you also have sort of a double-sided problem, or not problem, but you're, you're with mom and pop shops who want to, probably would love to have more business too. So how were you sort of facilitating that on the marketing front? Yeah, we did not spend tons, like, last April because we were getting so many new buyers. Our spend was predominantly on, like, promo code costs. Like we generally have promo codes that are like $5 off your first order. So obviously our new buyers were 510x the numbers. So those costs went up massively. Um, and then a lot of liquor stores were getting tons and tons of business. So we would help try to add new stores in those zones to help them with the load. Um, because a lot of the times they couldn't handle this new load of business overnight. And they would try to staff up, but some people were scared to work understandably. Um, so it was definitely challenging for the liquor stores as well, but they did an amazing job in an unprecedented time. So what are you seeing in terms of sort of consistent consumption patterns with alcohol delivery? You know, there's there was the initial spike and that was throughout every category. Everybody was getting things delivered and they needed it now. And then there were, you know, there, there are so many different weird threads to, to follow with that. But I feel like specifically with alcohol, uh, I, am, I imagine there are a lot of people who are like, I'm going to get this delivered now and now feel more comfortable to go back in the stores. Um, and you're, you mentioned LA is now seeing sort of the spike again. But like, what are you seeing sort of long-term macrocosmically in terms of how, how customer acquisition and customer retention? Yeah, I mean, I think this just kind of moved up the adoption timeline by, you know, three to five years. Um, you know, a lot of people also who might not have ever tried online alcohol delivery, like an older generation that's, you know, tech maybe is a little bit harder or they are happy doing it the old way and going to the liquor store wouldn't have tried it. But now, since they were the most vulnerable population, we had a much... Um, 
our kind of like age demographic skewed up a little bit because older people were getting alcohol delivered. And I think once you have your, once you've tried it and you know how it works, your credit card's in the system, it's easy to reorder. And I think they're going to continue to use it over and over again. And it's great because if you, you know, are somewhere else or need to send a gift, we work in so many locations that hopefully we can help them wherever they are. Um, but that said, like this summer, I pre-Delta, um, you know, people had pent up demand of 15 months of sitting inside. Of course, they're going to go to bars and restaurants. They're vaccinated. They're excited to see their friends. Um, so, you know, versus last summer, it, was, it wasn't as crazy in terms of demand since people were going out. Um, and then we've seen a shift kind of in buying habits. So, you know, over the past year, we've seen spirits do really well. Um, the beer category shrunk a little bit for us. Um, not surprisingly, like champagne did poorly at the beginning of the pandemic. No one was celebrating anything. Um, and we've seen um, champagne come back this kind of summer, which is great. And then obviously all the trends people are talking about, like hard seltzers, like ready to drink, um, hard teas, all of those are doing really well on our platform and have seen huge growth versus last summer. When you are seeing these dips specifically like pre-Delta during the summer, do you then put the gas a little bit on promotions to get people back buying online? Sort of how are you approaching that? Yeah, we do. Um, you know, we're constantly trying to both, you know, attract new customers as well as increase the repeat rates for current customers, um, you know, and telling them about all our new fun things like gift cards and stuff like that. Um, so hopefully they'll think about us for more occasions, you know, sending a gift or having a party or instead of just having, you know, ordering for themselves tonight. Um, we want to be there for all occasions. Um, and if they've only ordered, you know, and telling them when we have new stores on the platform or new offerings. Um, we turned on, we used to have like book a bartender pre-pandemic. We've started to turn that back on because um, people are starting to have parties a little bit more, hopefully safely. Um, so we have seen a shift in kind of consumer behavior and it will be interesting to see, you know, we saw spirits go up so much in the pandemic. It'll be interesting to see if it maintains that um, level of sales on our platform or returns to the mean. Have you found the need as the company has grown, but also as the space has gotten much more crowded with other alcohol delivery platforms that you focused on your own brand marketing? So like mini bar as a service so that people turn to you like I feel like that people might do sort of cross shopping between platform to platform. And so you want someone who knows like instantly I'm going to that website. So how do you approach that when you know you're seeing more services come up per day? Yeah, I think we try to set ourselves apart by like having an amazing shopping experience, always listening to like what the customers want or need. We have an amazing in-house customer service team that we've had since day one, which I don't think a lot of companies do have. Like you can pick up the phone or you can text us and you will get a response immediately. Um, there is someone on the other line waiting to talk to you. Um, and I think a lot of these delivery platforms, that's very challenging to do. I know I've, you know, had a missed food delivery or they delivered the wrong thing and it's very, you can't get the actual platform on on the phone you have to call the restaurant um, so I feel like we try to have really great service and have really great like content and try to listen to our customers and you know serve them where they need so with that uh, especially as there's so much uncertainty things are closing back down or opening back up what is your sort of focus now for the next six months is it on customer acquisition or just sort of getting a handle on any forecast whatsoever. I, I, it sounds difficult in a job like yours. 
Yeah, it's definitely customer acquisition, definitely building tools to improve the shopping experience as well as, um, you know, adding new stores. So we have better selection everywhere, great fair prices, have more coverage. And then, you know, the big the big time in the alcohol industry is Q4. So also we're already starting to prep for December, holiday gift guides and stuff like that. So how do you, like, what did you 2020 teach you about digitizing that? Because I think that's fascinating where, you know, maybe there'll be a holiday party, maybe there won't. But then now companies are thinking a little bit more proactively about ways to get creative. And you mentioned the gift cards. So what are you, what are you doing specifically that either is born out of demand or ways that you're trying to get your corporate customers more invested in, in using your platform? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. So last December, when talking to the team, I was like, I have no idea what to expect. Because December used to, like our average order size would go up by over 10% because it was so many parties, so many corporate parties, so much corporate gifting. It was just crazy. And I was like, I have no idea what to expect this year. And it was bigger than we expected. The average order size didn't go up by as much as it usually does because there weren't parties. But um, people were definitely ordering, definitely buying, and they were, so it was still really, really strong. Um, And we had our new gift cards, which did phenomenally. Um, So I feel like this year, I expect kind of the same. Um, Plus, I think corporate will be back in, not in a 2019 level, but I do think corporate will be back. Um, I think if Delta hadn't come, like I would have been like, definitely corporate. Uh, but with Delta, I think that kind of throws things up in the air. Yeah, it's uh, every every day. It's a new update and figuring out what's going on. It's been it's been wild. Um, what do you see happening on the brand advertising side? Because you mentioned that you know brands were completely stopped advertising on prem. Now they're going back on, but they still. At least, you know, if you talk to them, they say, of course, we're digitally savvy. Oh, and like, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, we love e-com, like, you, you know, but you know, with you sort of as the facilitator of e-com, what are you seeing sort of long term from brands in terms of how they're using you as an advertising platform? They still love e-com. I think they get that it is here to stay, that the goalpost has been moved up by many years and they want to be the most, each brand wants to be the most tech savvy. They want to be ahead of the curve. They always want to hear about like new tools, new things they can do. What can they test? What can they do first? Um, So we're constantly building stuff for them. When we launch gift cards, you know, we offered placements in the gift card emails, or we could do custom gift cards for, you know, Super Bowl. Would a beer like to be featured? Um, So we're always kind of working with the brands, both, you know, they're great partners. Both they advertise on our site, you know, they drive traffic to our site. Um, We have insights, they have insights. So I feel like it's a great relationship. And we just want to grow the entire pie, like, as opposed to, you know, getting a fruit basket, we would rather someone send a bottle of champagne as a gift. So we want to just grow the entire pie. And we see also like our busy days are when it's snowing and raining, like those customers might not have bought otherwise. So hopefully mm-hmm. we're just responsibly growing the industry. Have you ever thought of and if or have you ever done uh, like white labeled the platform for brands specifically? Or is that something that it, it, I feel like that they, they love to say that they have an owned platform, but they I'm sure they don't want to build it. Right. Yes. And they legally would have a challenge. It's yeah. Time <laughs> potentially building it. But we do have an API that they can build off of and offer e-com on their site. So we have worked with brands in that capacity because the brands are all really interested in first party data. They want, you know, to have insights. How much demand have you gotten for that? I imagine they're 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 quite interested in that kind of stuff. They are interested in it. I feel like, you know, 
there are always, you know, priorities and like where they're, where it falls in their tech roadmap, as well as who's going to own that. Um, so, but we do see brands that are interested in that. And I think, you know, the interest is growing. I'm running out of time, but I always like to end with sort of a, a long, long view specifically for, for qu- topics like e-com. But do you think, you know, we're seeing all of these fluctuations daily. Do you think if things do become a little bit more normalized, and that's obviously a big if, how, how do you see the the overall consumer what do you see overall consumer trends in terms of how they're going to interface with alcohol delivery? Yeah, I mean, I'm 100% bullish on the category. Um, I think, you know, we alcohol penetration for e-commerce lags kind of food and many other sectors. So I think there's tons of white space and room to grow, as well as we only cover a fraction of the country with um, on-demand delivery. There's tons of expansion. There's tons more we can offer to consumers. So we're really excited to grow and have new consumers, build better tools for our current consumers, as well as, you know, introduce Minibar to all the people that haven't tried us. But I think, you know, people want to spend their, value their time and they don't want to spend their time running errands. And hopefully we can eliminate that for them and make it really easy. Actually, I have one more question just because it's top of mind right now. Um, We came out with a story today that was about how in New York City specifically, there's like, this huge run on new startups that offer 15 minute or less delivery. Oh, yes. And in my yes. opinion, that is like a, a good tagline and extremely unsustainable. But maybe, maybe tell me if I'm wrong. But like you as someone who does an hour or less, which seems a little bit more feasible in my opinion, how, what, do you, what are your thoughts on just sort of this new run on ultra fast delivery? And, uh, and like, do you think that that is a long term play? Do you think that these what, what do you think is going to happen there? I mean, I think it's really interesting. I think, you know, they own the product and the logistics, so it's much more expensive. So if they can make the economics work, I have tried it and I've had a very wonderful experience. Um, like I started cooking a meal and then I or I ordered chicken, started cooking the meal, and by the time the sauce required the chicken, the chicken was there. Wow. So it was, and like I can't plan in advance for like cooking dinner. Um, clearly not for ordering wine either. So, you know, the wine arrived in time, <laughs> everything came. So it was great, but I do think the economics are very challenging. You don't do that at all because you don't own the logistics at all. <laughs> We don't own the logistics. I do think you could build smaller radiuses around each store that had like a 15 to 30 minute delivery that was just like three blocks from each store Mm -hmm. um, and offer it because there is the wow experience. Like um, I used to live downtown and I had like eight stores on Minibar that uh, served my apartment and I knew each store differently. I was like, this wine will arrive cold every time. This This wine shop, it'll arrive in 10 minutes and this wine shop has the fancy, like really nice stuff. So like for each occasion, I knew where to go if for what I wanted. Um, and you, sometimes you really do want it in like 15 minutes. Absolutely. All right, Lindsay, this has been such a great conversation. Thanks for joining. Kale, thank you so much. I really enjoyed telling you all about minibar delivery. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. Bye.